Welcome to another episode of the Portically Yours Extended Podcast. I'm Yvonne Booz. Every Friday, we showcase poems from a variety of writers. This extended podcast is a way for you to get to know these wordsmiths a little bit more. This month's featured poet is Jody Gooch. Jody lives in Germany and learned about the show through our contributor, Susan Goldberg. Jody is extremely vulnerable in this episode. She shares that her mother used to destroy her written works. You know, people don't get this, but I wasn't angry. And I wasn't angry because what went through my head is how much pain must she be in that she can't read someone else's pain. Jody also talks about her journey to sobriety and other personal things. Take a listen. All right, Jody. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today on the Poetically Yours Extended Podcast. Now, I um, learned about you through Susan Goldberg. Understand you guys are a part of a writing group. Tell me about how you became um, involved in that group. Well, it, I'm living, I'm an expat, which means I'm Canadian, but living in Germany, which means as, a, as an English speaker who writes in English, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to kind of get together with people and that's fine because I'm I'm one of those introverts I'm you know the potential Canadian wanting to live in a cabin somewhere but in around COVID it got to be kind of old so I ended up looking around for prompt writing groups because I like prompt writing and I ran across Press 53's surely does a group on Tuesday night well Tuesday noon, which is my, my night. And it's a lovely group. And out of that Tuesday night prompt writing, we ended up with a small group of people that we also meet with once a month. And Susan's part of that. She's just, she's a lovely woman, both, all of them are. Um, and we support each other, which is really nice. I mean, I think people, people have this, vision that poets especially are living somewhere you know that sort of stereotypical all by themselves and they write into a vacuum and actually I always say to them but think about Paris and and all the people that hung out in Paris with Gertrude Stein and they all they all helped each other write and inspired each other and pushed each other on and so these the the one group on the Tuesday and then the spin-off group with Susan and and there's four others. <clears throat> it's been wonderful, you know, and then we pass each other tips on where to submit or, you know, who's nice to submit to. Um, and it's been really, really useful for me as a, as a writer living away from an English-speaking community. Can you tell me about your early years of writing? When did you start writing? And was it just poetry or were you writing other types of things? I started quite young. Um, I was reading, I had two older brothers. So I was reading by the time I was four um, because my brothers were older than me and I wanted to be part of the group. And then I had an accident um, when I was six. I hurt my, I hurt my eye and actually behind your eye is a speech center. And I ended up not being able to speak. I didn't speak for two years. And within that time, 
I organically started to write to communicate. Um, and I've got a little story, you know, in the old days, there was a book called Dick and Jane. It was see Dick run, see Jane run, see Dick and Jane run. And I used to do that, but with myself and my dog. So I would make little stories up because nobody could understand my, my speech. I could understand everybody, but my speech was so bad. It's called dyspraxia and it, it leaves you with a little bit of an issue with concepts actually, which for a writer was interesting because I saw the world quite differently than the people around me. And I would write about it and they would be like, well, your writing doesn't make any more sense <laughs> than your speech. But I, I really, that's when I started writing as a form of connecting to people quite young. And then I just continued. Um, I've got a little bit of dyslexia, which means writing something long. So I'm not a novelist. I don't think I could get that amount of, of um, continuation. So poetry and prose poetry works really well for the way that my mind functions. It gives me that, that um, space and time to, to be. And then I can connect them with different, you know, through different poetry. So I'm not really, I write prose, but I'm not, I, I like to write short stories, but I'm not a novelist. Now, did you um, incorporate any of that writing into your education? Like I know some people may have went to school and majored in creative writing. Tell me about your background when it comes to your writing and education. Um, I did go to college. I took uh, social sciences, creative writing, and basketball. So... <laughs> um, I, I ended up going to college really because I wanted to play college basketball and I wasn't good enough to play university. So, um, and I ended up, I really like social sciences, but I ended up in a creative writing course that I quite liked. But again, you know, it's a continuation for me. I never finished. Um, but I, I kept learning. So I'll go, I used to, when I lived in, in Canada, I would go back, you can audit. You know, you can go in and listen to lectures and go in and, and I would do that. Um, and then the story goes, you know, I was writing and we were doing really well. I had a friend of mine, a fella called Mark Cote, who is now the editor and owner of Cormorant Books, which is a really nice little publishing house in Canada. They do really nice books. And we were really like tight. And then life happened. I, 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 the joke is I went for a beer, but it was a really long beer. It was like, so I had to deal with that. And I wrote through it, but if you're not engaged with yourself, your writing's not very engaged. So even though I wrote during that time, it didn't go anywhere. Um, so then I just, I, I just kept reading. I mean, I, I think a lot of writers say, read, 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 write, read, 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 write. And I, I love to read and then I would write and then I would read some more. Um, but, but writing poetry for me is a way of understanding the world around me. 
trying to make sense of it. I want to go back to when you were talking about how you became like maybe stagnant or you're in a part of your life where you couldn't really produce um, what you were used to producing. I know that a lot of writers have told me that there's been times in their lives where maybe they they got a family and they had to put the writing to the side. Can you explain what your thought process was that during that time? Like, did you try to write and things weren't coming out or flowing like you wanted them to? And how did you overcome that? Well, I think it it there was a lot of culmination. I mean, I went um, I went down to L.A. because I thought I might want to be a, a, a screenwriter. And I was uh, from Vancouver, 1977, and thought I understood the city. Uh, you don't. <laughs> you don't understand anything until you get to Los Angeles and you're 17 years old, 18 years old. And I went to Lee Strasberg for six months and went, uh, I can't do this. These people are all nuts. I mean, I, you know. So I went back home and went back to college. And then when um, when I started to drink, I started to quit producing decent work. And all some people, it's the other way around. And somewhere along the line, I thought I didn't have a lot of support for writing from family. I mean, it was a nice hobby, you know, but it was like get a, you know, go out and get a trade if you're not going to go to university get a trade or do something and so i kind of bought into having to be something and so i went into i'd been driving truck to put my you know i drove a long haul for a while and i i drove truck and then i got into the post office and thought oh i can make a career of this and then you know right on the weekends or right on the side but actually if you're in that kind of you know middle management going up you don't have the brain I, I didn't have the brain to be able to do anything so I actually quit I got involved in I sobered up and got involved in Buddhism at the same time and then looked at my life and went what is it that I want to do I want to go back to writing and I want to go back to just being authentic to myself and that meant giving up the job giving up kind of the North American way of, you know, you get a job, you, you go that route. Um, and then I started writing again, but I had to, I had to bring myself back. And that meant finding out what was important. And then what became important for me was finding a way to make writing part of my part of my life, part of my spiritual life, part of my daily life. And I started to use it as meditation. So I wrote, because I can't sit still. So I started to write, doing spontaneous writing as, um, as a way of meditating. And that built up the muscles to write, I think. You know, I'd gotten out of shape. Um, so that's how I would say, you know, to get over it is, is for me really necessary to keep fit. And that just means even if it's five minutes a day, um, to do something that's that's with words, to do something where I'm writing something down. Um, and it keeps me 
aware of it. Otherwise, I get lost. I get lost riding horses and chopping wood and and doing laundry. And, and then I think, oh, geez, it's four days. <laughs> right? Oh, it's a week. Geez, it's a year. So <laughs> it's really important that I do it every day or else I just lose my thread. I love that analogy, how you um, compare it to working out. I never even heard of it that way, like keeping, you know, keeping your writing skills strong by using, using them. At what age were you when you decided, let me change my life and start back writing? Um, I think the sobriety is everybody comes out in a different way. But personally, when I drank, I just was scattered. I didn't, you know, you emotionally and and just processing what was going on in the world I was not I mean that's why I drank was to to be a little numb and when I decided I quit drinking so I've been sober I was 91 so I've been sober I don't know what the heck 32 years um it was a way of waking myself back up a way of getting back in touch with myself of being able to process all the loads of feeling that come through when you start to sober up again. Because things really, really hit me. I, there I was sober and feeling. And I didn't want to act out. I didn't want to be a dry, kind of a dry, angry drunk. And so I found that by writing, I could um, process the feelings in a way that was on my own time, not my own terms. Cause I think when, when I'm writing, when I'm trying to write spontaneously, I'm not editing, but it was certainly within my time. So if I started to get a panic attack, if I started to feel like I couldn't go forward, I could stop and come back to it. So it was really useful. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell me, um, when you were in Canada, at what point did you decide I need to change my atmosphere? How did you end up in Germany? Huh. <laughs> um, I had been living in a group house, well, a community of other Buddhists, and they we had to give up the house. And I had an old dog. And I couldn't find an apartment that would let me have the dog that I could afford. So I lived for a year and a half in my van. So I lived homeless for a year and a half because I didn't couldn't find any place that would take the dog. And I stayed with people, but mostly I sort of, my van was my uh, home address. And when I finally had to put my dog down, I looked around and thought, this isn't working. Vancouver is getting more and more expensive. And also I wanted to put more time into both um, Buddhism and trying to find a way to free myself so I could write more. So I ended up moving to England, actually, to live on work on a Buddhist woman's retreat center. And I lived and worked there for four and a half years, um, got ordained from there so i'm an ordained buddhist which is why i also use the name um and in that time met somebody which is just 
you know, what happens when you, when you go for it, you meet someone and then you're like, Oh no, now we have to decide where we're going to live. Um, and she's German. So I was actually quite proud. I've always wanted to live in the black forest. I've always had a thing about the black forest anyways, but my mom, bless her heart, my stepmom, bless her. She lives with my sister and she's in good shape. She's, um, she's 16 years older than me. So she's, you know, she was in good shape and she was living with my sister, but my partner's mom was living alone. And I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't say to, to her, her mom's lovely. And I couldn't say, child, I'm taking your, your daughter and moving to the other end of the world. So I stayed in Germany and actually I'm really happy here. It's a, it's got a really good standard of living. I live outside of the city in a, in an old house with, wood heating and um I only work one day a week so the rest of the time I can ride and walk my dog and I um get asked to ride horses so I don't have to you know I used to train horses at one point as well I was a cowgirl at one time so I've got a really nice life here but it was an accident I never set out to do it and when you say you work one day a week that's that's um like something that you don't hear often. What type of work are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm just a. I think the 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 old fashioned name is probably it's not politically correct is Girl Friday. Basically, I'm the <laughs> I'm the office roundabout. You know, I'm the one that the gopher. I do the filing. I do the lots of filing. I do some data entry. You know, I clean up the kitchen. I do the garbage. <laughs> basically I do anything around the office that um, needs doing that's kind of on the lower end of the of the workforce oh wow that's exciting the fact to, to be able to write full-time and still make a living and just work one one day a week now I want to take a moment and give you an opportunity to share some poetry with us let's see what I got I mean it's I tend to write a bit long, so I was trying to find stuff that's not too, too long. And um, we have time, so if you have something that that is long, um, well, feel free to share it. I've got something here. I'll read a couple things. Um, this is relatively new, but because we were talking about sobriety and stuff, um, I'll read this. It's... Um, a love letter to a place. The basement rooms and church halls, meeting rooms and civic buildings, or a room formerly inhabited by social workers left disheveled for us. Stale cookies, burnt coffee, chairs that have forgotten how to stack, those old clipboards with the 12 steps stapled to them and marked books. Rooms filled with dog-eared people and business suits the odd priest, truck drivers, secretaries, teachers, street people. I've loved every scuff linoleum since those first months. Those first months of looking at my feet, counting the heel marks while I listened and listened and listened. The stories becoming a blend, rougher than cheap bourbon and smoother than Remy Martin. Those rooms that held my bewilderment, pain and wonder when the world started to have a bit more order, lunch meetings, evening meetings, sometimes three times a day, bad coffee and smoking out the back door. 
rolling cigarettes until my sponsor said, no more, no more, stop that too. It's just another addiction. And I went back inside, nervy and hungry for more stories to offset my own drunkologue, to get beyond the muscle memory of drunk, past the terrors haunting the sober moments, rooms where I could just let go and where I wasn't alone. I wasn't special or different. I was just another drunk. And a lawyer handed out cookies beside the dark worker, old timer who'd been there and done that. Rehab two or three times till it seems to have stuck. Every day I start over, every day I remember those rooms. And when I fire up for an online meeting, I can still smell dirty linoleum, burnt coffee and sweat, and the sweet linger of Old Spice from my old sponsor. Oh, that's wonderful. And I, you know, I've talked to a couple of poets and one poet in particular um, was telling me that poetry saved his life. Um, and I feel like I'm hearing a similar thing with you and your being sober now. What role did writing play in in this? It was a large part. Um, the two things, there's, you know, the, the book ended with, with, um, being a Buddhist and having a clear mind. So it's, it's very hard to, to work on your mind if it's not clear. And it's very hard to, I can't write if I don't have a clear mind. I mean, you write, you can write, but then you look at it and you think, I mean, I think we've all, a lot of us have been there. You have a couple drinks and you think, wow, I've just written the Pulitzer Prize. And then you wake up the next morning and you go, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> That is funny. <laughs> um, so it 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 was one of the things that kept me going. You know, the first the first years, and even now, you know, thirty two years later, you have bad days. And I I I sit and I meditate, and then I write poetry. And it it is really one of the things that inspires me to stay clear because I want to write. And um, I want to value that. So it's very, it's been an inspiration all along, along with, you know, like I said, for me, meditation and writing go hand in hand. Um, much like if you, if anybody knows Natalie Goldberg and the way that she does stuff, <clears throat> she talks about that too. And for some of us, it works. You know, for some other people, it might not work, but it worked for me. Um, I just see maybe I got something that's a little happier. That's the problem. You know, you, you go through your stuff and I like all the stuff that's not happy. <laughs> I totally understand. I, I, I told myself conscious, like, consciously, I have to work on some happier stuff. Um, I went to like a author event and I was reading some poems out of my book and I was like, doggone. Let me find something to make <sighs> them laugh or smile or something. So Sometimes I won't write because I'm like, uh, that's kind of that's kind of dark. Let me let me fill my 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 notebook up with um, some more bright things, and then I'll get back to the dark stuff. Just so I'll have a mix. So I definitely understand what you're talking about when you say let me <laughs> let me do something that has a happier tone. I agree with you with it with the kind of an intent to write a little more happy. I tend to write a lot of memoir, and then. And then it seems to be all the hard stuff. And I think, oh, come on, you know, I know that I had glimmers. I know that my whole life wasn't one big sad poem. So, so I'm like, 
Okay. I used to do stand-up comedy. For sure. Why can't I write poetry? But I don't. I write all this heavy stuff. It's nice. Okay. It's reflective. Well, let's stop and talk about the stand-up comedy. That is interesting. How was that? And why did you stop with that? Why did you start, I should say? Well, um, I got paid by drinks. <laughs> In the old days, you know, you'd, you'd go, you'd put your name down and you'd say, okay, I'll do a five or 10 minute slot. And uh, then you got to drink for the night. So that was kind of nice. And, or you got dinner. Um, and I just fell into it. My brother's really funny. And uh, I just would stand up on stage and talk about normal things, you know, like that people, I think that's what I like good, I like comedy that, that isn't mean. And so I would just, you know, talk about exactly like what we were saying, you know, being a Pulitzer Prize winner. Because also things people know, I mean, it's the same with the students who are, they go out and they have a couple of beer and they're going to write a thesis and they, they figure that they've got a thesis that's going to, you know, get published in some scientific magazine and wake up the next morning and it's like how to produce beer. So, <laughs> so I, I did a lot of that kind of stuff and I, I did a lot of improv, which is interesting because I'm really quite nervous with this interview, but I can do improv and stuff. But it's really funny because it the humor that I have if I'm in front of an audience doesn't come out when I'm sitting writing. And I've never been able to figure that one out. I just have never figured it out. I can tell a great story until I sit down to write. And then, I don't know, then the serious bone goes on in my brain. And I think, oh, now i got to be serious. <laughs> that is funny. Okay, did you find your happy poem? Well, I found a happy-ish. Happy-ish. Found... <laughs> um, oh, I could oh. read. I've got two that I can read, actually. Okay. Um, I vote it that way around. This is from, I put a chapbook together called Liminal Space. And this is the end poem in it. Liminal Space. Change. Loose change in the pockets of my dyspraxic brain. Is change part of quantum physics, like time, existing all at once, strung together like the colored ribbons on a bouquet of balloons? Could Scotty beam me backwards, far enough before the embryo started dividing, before this energy called I arose to muddle forward, looking behind? I am mostly done with looking back at the past, at the what ifs, if I can't fix my regret, even with making amends, now the only thing that holds me here, breathing every rotation of this mother earth, are the moments of nothing. Liminal space, so full of possibility, even Schrodinger's cap wouldn't need nine lives. The cyanide capsule, no, and void. Only the fullness of emptiness to hold onto. That poem sounds very freeing. Like you don't have to worry about things anymore. You can just let go. Yeah. I mean, that, it, it, it's that simple sometimes and that hard to do. I mean, that's the, I think the simpler things are the hardest things to do. 
Now, before you go on to the next poem, I want to ask, you talked about a chat book. At what point did you feel the need to start sharing your work? How old were you? And where were you at in life when you made that decision? Um, high school, actually, grade eight. Back in the days when high school started in grade eight. Um, my, I was still living with my birth mom. And she didn't like the fact that I wrote poetry at all. Um, she'd ground me and burn my poetry. And she just didn't like it. And um, I started writing under a pen name in high school. So I had a, you know, I would, I'd write. And I really needed, you know, I was quite a loner, obviously, with, with not being able to speak very well. And then finally speaking, but having quite... You know, like a lot of families, they put the dis in function and made it work. So <clears throat> I was an odd little thing because I played sports, but I was also in the drama club. You know, and you don't do that. You either play sports or you're in the drama club, and I was in both. So I couldn't come out as a poet on top of it. So I wrote in under a pseudonym. <laughs> I mean, God, can you imagine if I'd come out as a poet as well? Lord, they would have put me away. So I, I wrote under a pseudonym and I would write poetry under pony. I, I called like, I loved horses. So if you'd been, if anybody'd had a brain, they would have put my name, horses and pony together, but they never did. Um, and I would go into school first thing in the morning as early as I could and put my poems to the little school newspaper mailbox. So nobody knew who was doing it. And there was something about that that just felt so much fun. I just loved it. And so I did that. And then, you know, in college, you know, I am a dinosaur. So in my age, all of these journals that are now online, you can just have so much fun. Just troll, just, as soon as they troll, it's not right. And, you know, going through and reading everything, they were all these little chat books. You know, they were all small little things that came through the post. And you, you know, you went to your local coffee shop, um, left usually meaning coffee shop, and there'd be like these little poetry things. I got a couple of poems in one of those, and I really liked it. I thought this is—I wanted the connection to other people, and I wanted—I wanted to write so that other people wouldn't feel as lonely or as hurt as I was. I thought if one person can read a poem and not feel alone, then, then I've done something to help. Because I felt so alone as a kid, so alone as a teenager. And so, you know, I think like a lot of writers, you feel alone. And then I would think, but that means that there's other people out there feeling that same way. And if, if I can write something that connects and that was that was the reason I really especially right now really wanted to start submitting again is to, is to find that connection with people now let's talk about your birth mom you said she didn't like you writing poetry and she would burn your poems as a child how was do you remember how that made you feel yeah I mean it was 
I think, you know, you're trying to, I was trying to find my identity. So I was struggling to be probably, you know, as a kid, you want to be the best you can be. I think unless it's, unless it's beaten out of you, which it could have been. Um, so I was very hurt by it, if I feel it. Um, I think, you know, people don't get this, but I wasn't angry. And I wasn't angry because what went through my head is how much pain must she be in that she can't read someone else's pain? Hmm. So, and I knew that probably because I, I was probably in grade six. She found a whole pile of stuff and I was really sad because I thought I'll never get that back. I was also really scared because she was really angry. But I think looking back, that much angst coming out of your daughter and reading it probably made her feel scared or wondering why she failed or why couldn't I connect with her, or, you know. So it made me feel, it actually made me resolve to do it more rather than less, but to do it in a way that I wouldn't be found out, which is why I started writing for the school newspaper. And how um, did you, like, where did you store your writings that you kept, your personal things that you didn't, um, you know, I know if you, you wrote for the school newspaper, how did you hold on to those writings? Put them in my locker at school. So I just, you know, that was, that those were, I, I have no idea what schools are like now, but you had, used to have a locker. So anything like that, I kept in a locker at school. And in the summer months, when I didn't have a locker at school, I actually hid it in the laundry room of the um, apartment building or living room. So I want to ask about, I know we were talking about happy poems, um, but what brings you joy when it comes to writing these days? You know, it's a funny question because I really, I enjoy writing. I love listening to other people, which is why these some of these poem groups are so good. Shirley's on the one that we're in. Um, so if, if, we, if we're given a prompt and then people read back, I absolutely love hearing everybody's different take on something and hearing where they go. Um, for me, the joy is, I feel like I'm now 64 and I feel like I'm finally understanding understanding stuff about myself and that's huge i'm start i'm starting to write about the stuff that i never wrote about before part of that is the world has changed you know um when i grew up people who are neurodivergent or non-binary or any of the stuff that you can label to myself with that you can label me with i, I tend to we didn't know about that stuff. We just got on with it. So um, being neurodivergent back then meant that I was told all the time to be normal. And if I, you know, if you don't smarten up, if you keep being weird, then you're going to be put away. Because that's what they did to people. 
so I grew up really afraid to show that my the way my mind worked. And I just started to watch and imitate. And I didn't even know. And that's why the writing was so important, because you know, a poet can be a bit weird and 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 get away with it. Like you don't get put away if you're a poet. Oh, she's just a poet. She's a bit weird. <laughs> but but in my day and age, man, you you know. It really was the 60s and the, you know, started to change, but um, I masked most of my life the way that I thought and I masked most of my life um, like a lot of people do in order to get by. And so the joy right now is that I'm able to, I'm trying to take that mask off and live vulnerable with vulnerability. I really really believe in trying to live vulnerable and as open as as open as I can be. It's it's a hard work. But to take those those masks off, to take those faces off, those personas that we all I mean, I have personas, you know, I when I'm down at the bar and I've got kind of a cowboy persona. When I'm writing I have a different persona. When I'm out with my dog by myself and I don't think we I don't think it's not an authentic self. I think it's just different places we respond to different environment. I do. And writing allows me um, the consistency in being myself, the consistency in being, if I'm vulnerable on the page, I'm more likely to be more vulnerable in life. Mm. And that brings me a certain amount of joy to think, God, you know, I'm finally, after 64 years, feeling like I might be getting somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it is I'm getting, but but it's it's okay, you know, and it, it gives me so much pleasure and joy to know also that the kind of writing that's coming out now is so different than what was written when we were kids. You know. Writing has, has just thrown itself wide open between po prose poetry and, and um, that's something I love. I love the fact that now there's this whole prose poetry thing and, and um, flash. Because when I was in college, I, you know, I was in creative writing and I got told, you either have to be a poet or a prose person. You cannot, what you're doing is you're mixing up prose and poetry together and it's neither prose and poetry, but you need to pick Whatever that piece is, it has to be one or the other. And I'm like, why? Like, I couldn't get it. You know, and now 40 years later, people are doing that. They're mixing lyrical words into prose. And it's it's beautiful. And I just, it makes me want to dance. And I see that when I read books. Um it's like I'm reading the book and I'm like, is this poetry? They're using alliteration. They're using metaphors. They're using all of these um, components of poetry in their writing. So I think for a long time, it has probably intertwined and we really didn't pay attention to it. But those concepts make the, the reading um, experience so much more pleasurable, more descriptive. You feel like you're there when people write like that. So. Um, we have time for another poem. So I want to okay. take a moment and let you share another poem. Okay. You know. Oh, let's, this is sort of happy. Let's do one that's in the middle. Um, 
And you have to really think about this. I always want to explain it to people because we're in the digital world, but I grew up in the non-digital world. So school library, 1965 to 1972. All those drawers, those tiny holders of cards, a whole world at one pull. The smell of dusty paper and old ink, checking the index first for the Dewey number, horse, nature, family, science, philosophy, following the trail to the shelf, standing in awe of all those books, just waiting for me. I knew this because the sign-out card often only had my name in them. Years those books hunched there, waiting in an elementary school library for a child like me to read in awe. It started with Edison and Einstein, these brief mentions in class. I fell in love with the idea of theories, not the math. God, never the math. But the bend of things. I knew from jumping horses that I never landed in the same place in the same time as when I left. Certainly I understood gravity, having hit the ground often enough. For a child who couldn't talk right, who played mostly alone, who loved natures and dogs and horses, this delving into science and its sister philosophy in elementary school put me way out there on the weird scale. Teachers and my parents banned me from those books. The librarian, Mrs. Goodlett, would leave a book open on the sorting desk, often on the days I volunteered to sort things out. Sometimes there were notes in her careful printing. When I came in after two weeks of being grounded for being a girl, for reading science magazines tucked into my horse books, Apparently in those days, horses and little girls were okay, but science, not so much. Anyways, Mrs. Goodlett quietly told me to keep going. And so began a new phase. I started at the beginning of the Dewey system and would run book from each section until my father bought a complete set of world book encyclopedia as a way to keep his girl child home and away from the dubious awareness raising card system of the school library. Oh, wow. You know, you just get a, it's a certain nostalgia when, um, like for me, when I go to the library, same as a bookstore, it's just the smell. It just puts me in a happy place. So I definitely appreciate that poem. Now, before we wrap things up, can you tell me, is there anything else you would like to share? I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm just, um, I'm just really happy. I want to say how, how nice you've been. You've been so lovely through this whole thing. And that there's still places like public radio that want to put poetry on. And for me, I think I'd love poetry to get back to being for the people. You know, you kind of go to school and you, you take Shakespeare and you think, oh my God, and they kill it. What does this poem mean? And they take everything out of it. And by the time kids get out of high school, the last thing they want is a bloody poem. So I'm so happy with things like, you know, with poetry slams and all that stuff, that poetry's coming back as a way to communicate. And it doesn't have to be full of all of these intricate Greek symbols and, 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 I always get a kick when people say, oh, God, your poem's all about this, that, look at that, look at my thing. But I just wrote a poem about my dog. <laughs> it was 
way, <laughs> you know, but it's, I'm just really glad that, that there's more and more people writing poetry, more and more people reading it. And that I feel like there's a whole way to become a bard again, you know, the old fashioned wandering around from town to town, uh, bringing the news and bringing some stories. And it's all in, it was all done in poetry because then people could understand and remember it. And I'm just, I think in all of this digital age and stuff, I kind of think poetry is kind of the heart that we need. Oh, that is lovely. That is a lovely way to end this conversation. And we could go on and on, but I <laughs> have limited time. But I, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and us getting on the schedules because what is it like almost six o'clock there? It is six. Yep. Oh. <laughs> so I'm thank you. Trying to be my dog. <laughs> <laughs> and your dog has been very quiet. So, um, Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And I welcome more poetry from you. And I hope you continue to um, enjoy the, the meetings. Maybe one day I'll jump on and join one of the workshops if I have time. I know Susan has already invited me. But thank you so much for sharing your, your life and your world. And I hope that this conversation is something that some, some other people can relate to. Well, thank you very much. You've been very kind. Thank you. You have a good rest of your evening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining in on this lovely conversation. Listen to Poetically Yours every Friday on WNIJ and WNIU. Special thanks to the Nick Monty Trio Band for allowing us to use their music. For Poetically Yours, I'm Yvonne Booz.